0: Today on The Scott Thompson Show on 900-CHML. Let's bring in Anthony Wilson-Smith, President and CEO of Historica Canada and on the line now. Anthony, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. So is is this Remembrance Day different, not only because it's the 100th anniversary, but just because of where we are in the world?
1: Yeah I mean, I think a lot of people will say, and of course, I got no eye into the future, but there are a lot of disturbing parallels between the rise of nationalism in a lot of places, small conflicts growing up into you know becoming bigger ones and, and disagreements within countries, the way things were in 1914 that you know you look around and you feel a bit of this going on right now too, and it, certainly it has people remarking on it. Does
0: Remembrance Day mean more today than it did when those that are in their 40s and 50s were kids?
1: I think, you know, I think that, the, the, you know, so the answer goes two ways. I mean, the closer you are to remembering a war, the more people around you have who have direct memory of it, and the more they're a part of your lives, clearly, you know, the more impactful it is. Having said that, you know, we've been doing polls for about seven or eight years now and asking a lot of the same target questions each year. And surprisingly, what you see is that each year the level of interest, the level of commitment to remembering and to specifically attending ceremonies goes up every year. And that's also true among 18 to 34-year-olds.
0: I thought for a while it slipped, though, post-World War II, uh, Vietnam War era, Korean War era, and then spiked up again post-9-11.
1: And you're absolutely right, Scott. So I think a couple of things come into play here, two specifically. One is uh, the enormous percentage of Canadians 18 to 34 years old and a bit beyond that who knows somebody who served recently specifically afghanistan so fully one in three of people we asked the poll questions to said yeah i know someone who was over you know who put their life online who was overseas for part of this for afghanistan or peacekeeping or other more recent things so it makes it more relevant the other one, you know, which is a tough thing but important to face is, you know, the veterans of World War II are well into their 90s now. We do still have them among us. Some of them, in fact, still do lectures and, and appearances on, on our behalf at schools and things. But, um, you know, the day is coming when we won't have them here anymore. And if we don't honor them now, we'll lose that window.
0: Are we teaching more of this in schools? It seemed to be, uh, especially post-World War II, uh, you know, you, you come home, you don't talk about it, nothing moves forward, um, you know, it's just the battles of war. Is that cloak of secrecy being removed?
1: Well, you know, it's not on curriculum that, that much. Uh, you know, it's still a beef of ours that because education is, you know, a provincial jurisdiction, you have different histories taught across the countries, whereas the U.S., for example, has a real national narrative. But um, what you see, what we've seen, you know, we run a program where we call the Memory Project. We put more than 2,000, arranged more than 2,000 visits by veterans, Afghanistan, World War II, Korean War, otherwise, to schools every year to talk about their experiences. That program grows every year. And the other phenomenon, in direct answer, is that a lot of the, you know, what that, the so-called, and I think the greatest generation, meaning World War II vets, they came home, they were taught not to talk about their experiences. It wasn't yeah. a manly thing to do. Mm-hmm. Didn't do it for years. They got into their 80s, and there seemed to be this kind of collective realization. If I, if we don't tell our stories now, who will? Those stories will be lost. So will the sacrifice of friends, of ourselves, of others. You know, It will never really be known, so we better get doing it. And they did.
0: How did 9-11 change Remembrance Day?
1: Well, of course, it brought into focus, you know, the fact that events and resentments and, and conflicts in other places around the world, in the Middle East, in that case, where, you know, carry back over to your home ground that there is no home island, that North America is not a fortress that can just stay here and be exempt from everything else. We have to pay attention, and it's also why we send soldiers overseas in harm's way in some cases.
0: Does the state of the world or the the divisiveness that we hear about, the conflict, the uneasiness, does this... Does this resonate during or at Remembrance Day? Is, does Remembrance Day unite us? Does it, is, is it a time to pause... Out of the the wacky divisiveness we seem to find ourselves in
1: yeah absolutely and you know it's a time to put things into context to learn from lessons of course of the past to, you know to remind ourselves we've faced this before that we have gone through this before but that there's also enormous sacrifice i mean it's it's you know it's very tough nations come of age in war and heaven knows you don't want a war to have that happen but that's what happened with canada in world war one we went in essentially you know, still a British colony and came out very much a fully formed country, making our own decisions with our own so generals for the first time in charge of our own troops and with a developed economy. And that's obviously not to say we ever want to see that again, but it's what happens.
0: Uh, how How does this change politics around the world when we have the 100th anniversary of the armistice? Does this not resonate with with those that are in the koreas with those that are in areas of conflict right now does this resonate at all
1: well it's certainly you know uh, political leaders dig themselves holes a lot of the time and and make it hard to get them out of once they have fixed positions but you know when you look back yeah you know i mean to look back of course at world war one which is still in many ways the most horrific of the two wars it should never have started, you know. I mean, it was, you know, it was an assassination, and that's unfortunate in, you know, in a part of the world. But it was just became a tinderbox and set off a series of sparks that caught everywhere else. And then, you know, the consequences of the end of World War One were uh, the creation of artificial countries in the Middle East, like Iran, you know, Iraq, where you still see war today because they were kind of glued together and put people who didn't get along together. And without World War One, you don't have World War Two because it was the resentments coming out of the end of the first World War that got everything going there. So you know, a hundred years in, absolutely, we're still feeling the effects. And the other thing, of course, you know, Scott, is we had, you know, we had sixty thousand dead. Ultimately, sixty-five thousand out of a nation of under seven million. That was the cream of our largely male, but you know, what, in their twenties and thirties, a whole generation of the best and brightest taken from us. Never married, never had children. A whole bunch more. One hundred seventy-two thousand wounded. You know, how many had PTSD out of those who came home? So a damaged generation, in effect.
0: Um. You know, we talk about lots that, that, that was learned post-World War II, uh, United Nations, um, you know, Never Again, all of this. Uh, this piece that I read from uh, the teacher talks about technology and allowing us to, 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 to build more weaponry that just even destroyed us uh, even more. Have we forgotten that phase in history when we said never again, have we forgotten about
1: that? Yeah, I mean, the danger is, as you lose those first-hand voices, you know, you lose the sense of immediacy and the sense of intimacy. I've always said, you know, history really, to me, properly done, it's not so much about the dates, although marking 100 is important. And it's not so much about who was prime minister or who was general. It's about the, you know... What was it like? What was it like to do this? What was it like to live through it? How did it change things on the home front? How did it change the men, you know, largely men who went off, you know, and served? I mean, what were the conditions? And what was the follow? How do we look and see, you know, which countries were affected, how we were shaped? That Getting that is much more important than, as I said, knowing names and dates in particular. What do young
0: people say when they realize the sacrifice, what these people did? You talked about, the, you know, the First World War and how this took a huge chunk of, of Canada uh, uh, personnel, uh, uh, productive people. What do young people say to you when they realize what life was like for a soldier in World War One?
1: Well, the better measure is what did they say to those who went through it. So as I said, we do these visits, and I've been on a number of them to schools. so we'll bring in, a, you know, sometimes an Afghanistan veteran, but quite often still some of these mid-90-year-old yeah. World War Two veterans talking to 12 to 6, 16 or 17-year-olds. And, you know, they talk for about a half an hour. In the first couple of minutes, you can see that the you know the young teenagers thinking, what could this person have to say to me? There's, the gulf in age, you know, and, and stage is enormous. It's, you can't get past it. And then there's always this moment, three or four minutes in, when they start hearing these people talk about what they went through. You know, losing soldiers, landing bullets whizzing around them. What's it like to think you may die any minute and, and live that way for? months and sometimes years. What's it like to have your childhood friend, you know, die right alongside you? How do you actually feel when you see someone in the sights of your gun? All of those things are very, you know, are very personal, and, and that's, wow. that tends to be what stays. And at the end of it, you always have these remarkable scenes of kids going up, you know, these young kids or teenagers going up in tears, throwing their arms around the vets, taking mm. pictures, hugging. It's quite, quite a thing. Is it different
0: when you have somebody from World War II as opposed to someone who's much younger and perhaps has served recently?
1: Yeah, it's two different impressions, but we we, we often arrange visits where we'll have you know uh, an Afghanistan veteran who may be in his or her mid-30s alongside a World War II veteran appearing at the same event together. And, and it's interesting because there's that level of mutual respect, You know, once a soldier, always a soldier, um, between them. The students then get that and they see now they can relate more easily obviously to the you know to the one who's in mid 30s or so who's really in you know in peak and still looks as though they could march off and do something but it's when they get the stories from the older ones that the years fall away and the meeting place occurs
0: uh, are the stories any different between the older and the newer soldier
1: well it's the scale of course you know uh, and I've actually been you know I've, I've done a lot of interviews over the years of World War two veterans I've actually been to Afghanistan myself um, in in Previous days as a journalist, and you know, one is one is guerrilla warfare, small-scale fighting. You know, there's no front line. You're not sure. You're not sure what's behind you, what's in front, or where the danger is coming from. And the other, of course, is the huge effect of something like a D-Day landing, where there's this impenetrable wall in front of you, and people are, you know, and and but you know, and this force behind you. Like the scale of the of the second is so massive.
0: What do young people, after they say thank you, what seems to resonate with them? What, what's different after this meeting than before? What do they take away from this? It's
1: the idea, more than anything, it's, it's the realization that these people who went off to war, who fought, who died, the ones who came home that it was very real. You know, so much of history is black and white film, right? And it's old headlines, and it all feels as though it was a play somewhere. It was artificial. And when you, meet, when you meet people around today telling stories firsthand, you realize, you know, the young people realize, these are people just like you and me. They were my age or just a little bit older when they went off to war. Their fears were my fears. The things I wonder about were the things that they lived through. You know, this could easily have been me, and that's what makes it so real.
0: Uh, how does this make the soldier feel?
1: Well, you know, appreciated because so often as they you know, as they you know, if they haven't talked haven't talked about it for years, they look at society around them, they wonder if things are falling, you know, they wonder what they went to war for, they wonder if it was worth it, they wonder if they're appreciated, and they see that they are. And they understand that. And they also see that the message they're delivering is starting again, will be retold by a new generation that, you know, those lessons they learned won't necessarily pass with them, but may be evident. You know, I've got, I've got kids who are 17 and 20 who have heard these. I like to think that 40, 50 years from now, they may be, able, you know, they may be reciting some of those lessons themselves.
0: As you mentioned, uh, the older vets, not real quick to talk about. What happened abroad in the old days? Now they do. How do the students react to uh, not only what happened on on the battlefield and the injury and and toll it took there, but especially with people like from an, f- fought in Afghanistan when they come home and what they have to deal with? Is
1: that touched on at all? Yeah, we've actually done uh, on a more limited way, but we've actually done uh, sessions with some who've you know who've come home and fought PTSD, which of course. Wasn't recognized that uh, you know traumatic stress coming out of World War II wasn't diagnosed. Certainly not in World War One. In fact, we know that a number of you know of soldiers suffering from that were ultimately shot as deserters when they just broke down. So we're still coming to grips with a lot of that. you know, people talk in terms of shell shock. I will say, by the way, though, that uh, if any of your listeners ever, you know, do get to Ottawa, getting to the War Museum, which is phenomenal, is a great thing to do. And they yeah. actually show some, they show some footage there of people affected by what they termed as shell shock. Then, you know, just you see it in the eyes, the empty eyes, looking past everything, you know, the 10,000-foot you know, stare that just doesn't see the you, know, the, you know, the twitching of limbs, though they're physically healthy, that the, there's just nothing going on inside anymore. And, you, you know, to see that again makes it real.
0: Unbelievable. All right, Anthony Wilson-Smith has been with us, president and CEO of Historica Canada. Uh, If people want to find out more about Historica Canada, where do they go?
1: Well, the Historic Canada altogether, .ca, or Google us. And, of course, we also do the Heritage Minutes, and we've got a number of stories about World War I, World War II. And, by the way, one coming up next uh, June, which will be the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landing, and we'll be doing something on that.
0: Oh, great. Anthony, Wilth- uh, Anthony Wilson-Smith, President and CEO of Historica Canada, talking about the 100th anniversary since the end of World War I and Remembrance Day. Anthony, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott.